0: This week, we are excited to bring you an episode from She Votes, a new podcast from the Wonder Media Network about the fight for women's suffrage as we approach the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. The show is hosted by award-winning journalists Lynn Cher and Ellen Goodman and unravels the complex history of the women's suffrage movement. From the unintended limits of the 19th Amendment to the return of voter suppression, She Votes shares a historical narrative that carries profound relevance today. The episode you're going to hear is called Convicted and traces the story of how Susan B. Anthony was arrested and put on trial in 1872 for the crime of voting while female. You might be familiar with this story, but I can guarantee you've never heard it quite like this, because Susan B. Anthony is voiced by actress Christine Baranski. We'll be diving into women's suffrage here on Democracy Works with our own episode that will be out soon. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this episode of She Votes. If you like what you hear, you can listen and subscribe to She Votes wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, Hey, Lynn. I woke up this morning thinking about our mothers, Shirley and Edith. (laughs) Nobody names their kids Shirley and Edith anymore. (laughs) And I was sort of startled, really, to remember that both of our mothers were born before women could even
2: vote. Not because they were too young, not because they weren't citizens, not because they were convicted felons. They couldn't vote because they were female.
1: I think that's why we decided to tell the story, actually the stories of our foremothers and just what they went through, how they kicked and fought and organized and struggled.
2: I think, didn't we assume that it was somehow inevitable? I mean, of course women would get the right to vote.
1: You know, everything looks inevitable in hindsight or this did for sure. And I think it's really easy, too easy to forget the incredible opposition and the courage of the suffragists. It's really easy to forget that it took 72 years from the first calls for women's suffrage to the passage of the 19th Amendment. I mean, it was
2: just 100 years ago, this August 26th, that the 19th Amendment finally became the law and women, at least in terms of the Constitution, got the right to vote. It didn't mean all women could vote right away, Many states put outrageous obstacles in their path. A lot of people were left out, but it still was the largest
1: group of people ever brought into the voting rolls. So we're going to reach back and forth to share (laughs) stories that were kind of lost in the midst of history. And I think these are stories that highlight the culture wars of another era when women were really, truly kept in their place. I'm Lynn Scher. I'm Ellen Goodman. And this is
2: She Votes, a podcast about our battle for the ballot.
1: We spent our careers telling stories of stunning social change and crushing backlash. Lynn, all those investigative stories you did from politics to the space program, you won a Peabody Award for your TV journalism at ABC News. And
2: Ellen, your nationally syndicated column based at the Boston Globe got to the heart of everything from women's rights to the culture wars. You won a Pulitzer, the best in the business.
1: And now we're diving into the stories of suffrage to celebrate and investigate how the 19th Amendment was ratified a hundred years ago this summer. But first, let's start with a story that's almost as incredible as our mom's. It's a tale you know well, Lynn, because you wrote books and a play about it.
2: Starring my hero, Susan B. Anthony. Susan was the best-known activist for women's voting rights back in the 19th century. She spent years pounding on the doors of Congress and state legislatures to get woman suffrage, with little success. And then one day in 1872, when she was 52, Susan decided to challenge the law in a more dramatic way. So when presidential election day rolled around, she went to the polls and did something she had never done before. She voted.
1: It was Tuesday, November 5th, 1872. Susan shared the exciting news in this letter to her colleague and friend, Elizabeth Cady Stanton.
3: Dear Mrs. Stanton, well, I have been and gone and done it. Positively voted the Republican ticket straight this morning at seven o'clock and swore my vote in at that. 14 other women followed suit in this ward. I hope the morning's telegrams will tell of many women all over the country trying to vote. We are in for a fine agitation on the question.
2: Susan B. Anthony had put out a call for female voters that morning in 1872, an army of women that might lead to a legal ruling guaranteeing their rights. It was a new strategy, a potential game changer, and it all began in a three-story red brick house at number 17 Madison Street. So
4: we're going to come right in the, the front door.
2: Uh, and how far did you live? Deborah Hughes is president of the Susan B. Anthony Museum and House in Rochester. Right. They lived here from 1866 to 1906. But this was a pretty standard style. You walk in the hallway, the staircase goes up on the left.
1: The, and the
2: rocking
4: chair is actually from Mother's rocking chair. It's the...
1: You know, this house really feels warm. It feels important. This is where Susan gathered a small group of women and led them into truly uncharted waters. Susan's
4: sister, who was dying of tuberculosis, Guelma got out of her deathbed. Rhoda de Garma, who's one of my favorite characters, who was 73, had come to join them. In 15.
1: There were a gang of 15... And they headed down West Main Street to the little shop where you could buy newspapers or even get a haircut. (laughs) That day it served as the polling station. The women knew that New York state law prohibited women from voting and that election officials would try to stop them, but Susan had come prepared. She reached into her purse and pulled out her copy of the U.S. Constitution then sweet-talked her way into history.
3: Young man, are you acquainted with the 14th Amendment, the one ratified four years ago? You know, all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States?
5: Uh, I am, Miss Anthony. I read about it in the paper. But wasn't that just to provide civil rights for the freed slaves? Well, yes, but
3: if being born in America makes you a citizen, then all women born in America, no matter their color, are citizens too. We're persons. Okay, it wasn't
2: exactly sweet talk, more like smart talk. In 1868, the 14th Amendment had extended American citizenship to formerly enslaved people. It wasn't meant to imply anything more. But a lawyer friend had looked at the language and
3: saw a loophole. Citizenship included women. And you know the 15th Amendment ratified just two years ago. It describes the right of citizens of the United States to vote. So being a citizen means you have the right to vote. See?
2: The 15th Amendment was passed to enfranchise black men, not any women. But Susan said that phrase, the right of citizens to vote, meant women with citizenship had the right to. She was simply claiming what was hers.
1: Ann Gordon, longtime history professor at Rutgers University and the leading authority on early suffrage history, explained Susan's reasoning.
2: That we would have established the principle that voting is so central to our concept of government that we we assert that every adult citizen would have a right to vote. It just
3: comes with citizenship. Or, as Susan put it, we no longer have to ask for the vote. We have it already. Now, to be
2: clear, citizenship still left out a lot of people, but here in 1872, Susan saw it as an opening for some women to vote. It was a clever, if controversial, interpretation. It meant the new federal amendments overruled traditional
1: state control of voting rights. Susan's arguments left the polling official speechless. Or maybe he was just intimidated because she was one of Rochester's most prominent citizens. He kind of just gave up, then handed her four paper ballots, tickets as they were called then, and she marked her choices for congressman, congressman at large, state assemblyman, and for Ulysses S. Grant, President of the United States. All Republicans, by the way, at the time, the Republicans were the progressive party. It was still the party of Lincoln. Then she folded the tickets, handed them back, and watched while they were dropped in the ballot box.
2: The 15 women with her did the same. Then they all marched out in triumph. 15 American women who had, for the first time in their lives, voted in a presidential election.
1: It was a true historic moment. But today, it seems hard to grasp that women once weren't even allowed to vote, even at the monument, where Susan and others tried to change history. This is it. (laughs) We are standing in front of a bronze statue replica of the ballot box on a very busy street
2: that looks a lot different from what it looked like in Susan B. Anthony's day. But this is where Susan B. Anthony came and voted. And... It's What's so interesting is that this is a a very inconsequent. I mean, it's just little. It's just a little box. And yet, this little box represents a major moment in history. And this was about to blow up into one of the biggest stories of the decade.
1: Susan was hoping for publicity to help change the law. So she headed straight to the local newspaper to report what they'd done. And pretty soon there were headlines all across the country.
2: One newspaper cheered, editorializing that the little band of female voters, quote, deserves a permanent place in history.
1: And an opposing newspaper snapped back, we think so too, in the history of the criminal court.
2: (laughs) Oh boy. Yet another dismissed the new strategy, quote, Citizenship no more carries the right to vote than it carries the power to fly to the moon. These women should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, unquote.
1: It was a true locker up moment from another era. They called Susan the woman who dared, and this was not a compliment. A cartoon portrayed her as lean and cadaverous wearing manly getup. And, and notice in that cartoon, she was
2: surrounded by images of women as police officers, men holding babies, the world turned upside down. All because she'd voted. So she got her public attention, but Anthony also wanted legal attention. She was hoping for her day in court, and the government complied. So
4: uh, two weeks later, here comes a knock on the door, and it's a United States marshal. says, Ms. Anthony, I have a warrant for your arrest.
2: Standing in the parlor of this historic house, Deborah Hughes told us what happened when the U.S. Marshal arrived a few weeks after she'd voted.
4: And so she wants to be handcuffed, and he he says, no, you you really could just report downtown. And um, she says, no, I want to be treated as any male prisoner would be treated. He's very uncomfortable with the situation. She has to change, probably goes upstairs, gets out of her house dress. He's sitting here waiting, perhaps nervously. We can imagine what that was like.
2: Uh, Here he's, he's in the midst of United States history happening right now. She was probably the most famous woman in America at that point.
1: Susan turned her arrest into a spectacle as the U.S. Marshal led her downtown to be arraigned.
4: And then the story goes, they got out to the West Main Street, which is half a block down, where there would have been a horse-drawn trolley. And when the conductor asked for a fare, she says, I'm in the custody of the United States Marshal. He will pay my fare.
1: So she wasn't exactly afraid to be arrested.
2: No, indeed, she took it as a badge of honor, as did all the Rochester women, anything that might lead to full suffrage for women citizens. They were pretty ballsy. They were indeed. In fact, there were about 50 or so women across the country, including, for instance, Sojourner Truth in Michigan, who joined the protest that day. If, you know, it wasn't quite the army that Susan had hoped for, but only the so-called Rochester criminals were arrested, arraigned, and indicted. The crime? Voting while female. Susan was singled out for prosecution, but the government seemed um, unprepared they'd never charged a woman for illegal voting they didn't know
1: how to describe the situation right according to the law they had to establish first that she was female so at one hearing an inspector was asked was miss anthony dressed in the apparel of a woman and had she the appearance of a woman just to establish that she was not pretending to be a man
2: yeah as if Even the legal forms had no female pronouns. To fill them out for Susan, the clerk stuck a little S before the word he to make it read she. I mean, really? Finally, Susan's trial date was set, May 1873, four months away. So Susan hatched a plan. Instead of waiting quietly, she went on a speaking tour, proclaiming the need for woman suffrage to packed halls across the country. Then she returned home lecturing for the last month in the county where she was to be tried. Every night, another precinct, all to convince potential jurors of her innocence.
3: Friends and fellow citizens, I stand before you under indictment for the alleged crime of having voted at the last presidential election without having a lawful right to vote. I shall prove to you that I not only committed no crime, but instead simply exercised my citizens' right, guaranteed to me by the national constitution, beyond the power of any state to deny. The stakes for her trial were
1: sky high. If she was found not guilty, all women citizens immediately had the right to vote, protected by the constitution. A guilty verdict would set the movement back to square one.
2: Susan carried her message through snow and sleet, slept in hard hotel beds,
3: shivered through frigid holes, passionately arguing her case. It is downright mockery to talk to women of their enjoyment of the blessings of liberty while they are denied the use of the only means of securing them the ballot. Susan's speeches reached an
2: audience far beyond New York State. The whole country was paying attention. Her argument, that many women were citizens and citizens had the right to vote, was convincing, too convincing, worried the prosecutor. So at the last minute, he moved the trial to another county 30 miles east and to another date a month away.
1: And that wasn't all. A special judge was hand-picked, Ward Hunt, a Supreme Court justice coming all the way from Washington. Susan used her additional time wisely. She went on a new speaking tour to the new county, 22 days, 21 speeches, with a prediction that today sounds eerily prescient.
3: If we once establish the false principle that United States citizenship does not carry with it the right to vote in every state in this union, there is no end to the petty freaks and cunning devices that will be resorted to, to exclude one and another class of citizens from suffrage. It will not always be men combining to disenfranchise all women. It will not always be the rich and educated to cast off the poor and ignorant. Everyone's voting rights will be under attack. Susan knew
2: her trial would determine more than the fate of one woman. There
3: is and can be but one safe principle of government, equal rights to all. And any discrimination against any class whether on account of color, race, nativity, sex, property, culture, can but embitter and disaffect that class and thereby endanger the safety of the whole people.
6: The United States of America versus Susan B. Anthony.
2: On June 17, 1873, Susan's trial began. The national press was there, along with a room full of spectators and one former U.S. president. Even today, the Ontario County Courthouse in Canandaigua, New York, feels intimidating. Big imposing yellow brick building. It's really quite spectacular. It is. You know, it, it took us... About 45 minutes to drive here from her home in rochester
1: that's right she, she... was coming by horse and buggy <laughs> but there must have been a huge crowd here
2: and nobody knew what was going to happen nobody knew what was going to happen uh except maybe for some people in the government who were determined to make it come out their way and you you already feel you're under the um uh, either protection of or, or persecution of the government when you walk
1: into a but place you're like this. you definitely under the power of the government, and in this case all members of the government were male, all the laws were made by men, all the elections were run by men. There wasn't a single woman voting. And in this case, the
2: judge was a man, the jury were all men, and Susan B. Anthony wasn't even allowed to testify.
1: Lynn. You and I had some pretty strong feelings about this case when we stood on the imposing courthouse steps nearly a century and a half later. Turns out we weren't the only ones.
6: (laughs) This building, when I look at it, this is amazing history that's happened here. And to me, it's one of the top 10 courthouses in the country.
1: Prosecutor Jeff Taylor wandered by by on his way home from the DA's office office at the end of that day He was so proud of his workplace heritage.
6: I mean, forget the Michael Jackson trial, forget the Bill Clinton trial. This uh, history happened here, where a woman wrongly went on trial for exercising what should be a fundamental human right.
2: Yeah, we're actually actually doing a podcast on that very thing.
6: Okay, so I've worked in this building for 30 years. I'm very happy to have worked in here. The people that come in oftentimes are like classes of kids and I'll say to them with a smile, I'll ask them, you know, about Susan B. Anthony, and they've usually heard of her, and then I'll look towards the women and say, and she went on trial for voting. And of course, they'll look indignant, and then I'll look at
1: the- We young loved hearing say, that a new generation appreciated Susan's mission, but then Prosecutor Taylor made an even more personal connection when he recognized Lynn.
6: Lynn Chair did a show. This is Lynn. <laughs> I thought I recognized you. <laughs>
2: The The courtroom where Susan B. Anthony was tried still faces front on the second floor. Today, her portrait hangs on the wall. 147 years ago, she sat here as a defendant and listened as the prosecution laid out the case against her. Women could not vote in New York. Susan was a woman. She voted guilty. Guilty.
1: Susan's lawyers didn't deny any of that. That would have been futile. Instead, they pointed to those two constitutional amendments, her citizens' right to vote. The jury had to acquit. But before the 12 white men had a chance even to deliberate, Justice Ward Hunt stepped in.
5: The jury should be directed to find a verdict of guilty.
1: He simply
2: ordered the jury to find Susan guilty. Her attorney leapt to his feet, furious.
5: It is for the jury to determine whether the defendant is guilty of a crime. No, sir. Take the verdict, Mr. Clerk. Will the clerk poll the jury? No. Gentlemen of the jury, you are discharged.
2: Justice Hunt refused to hear a single word. He sent the jurors home. As Susan watched the 12 men leave the courtroom, she felt that justice had also left. The next day, the judge announced Susan's sentence, but before he did so, he made a serious error of judgment. He gave Susan a chance to speak.
1: Big mistake.
5: (laughs) The defendant will rise? Has the prisoner anything to say as to why sentence shall not be pronounced? The courtroom fell silent. Then Susan B. Anthony
3: stood up. Yes, Your Honor, I have many things to say. For in your ordered verdict of guilty, you have trampled underfoot every vital principle of our government. My natural rights, my civil rights, my political rights, my judicial rights are all alike ignored. Robbed of the fundamental privilege of citizenship, I am degraded from the status of a citizen to that of a subject. And not only myself individually, but all of my sex are, by your honor's verdict, doomed to political subjection under this so-called form of
5: government. The court cannot listen to a rehearsal of arguments the prisoner's counsel has already consumed three hours in presenting. Sit down, Miss Anthony.
1: She didn't sit and she didn't stop.
3: May it please your honor, I am not arguing the question but simply stating the reasons why sentence cannot in justice be pronounced against me. Your denial of my citizens' right to vote is the denial of my sacred rights to life, liberty, property, and... The court cannot allow the
5: prisoner to go on. But
3: your honor will not deny me this one and only poor privilege of protest against this high-handed outrage upon my citizens' rights. May it please the court to remember that since the day of my arrest last November, this is the first time that either myself or any person of my disfranchised class has been allowed a word of defense before judge or jury. The prisoner must sit
5: down. The court cannot allow it.
1: Susan kept standing and speaking.
5: The court must insist. The, the prisoner has been tried according to the established forms of law. Yes, Your
3: Honor, but by forms of law all made by men, interpreted by men, administered by men, in favor of men and against women, and hence Your Honor's ordered verdict of guilty against a United States citizen for the exercise of that citizen's right to vote simply because that citizen was a woman and not a man.
5: The court orders the prisoner to sit down. It will not allow another word. When I was brought before Your
3: Honor for this trial, I hoped for a broad and liberal interpretation of the Constitution and its recent amendments that should declare all United States citizens under its protecting aegis. But failing to get this justice, failing even to get a trial by jury none of my peers, I ask not leniency at your hands, but rather the full rigors of the law.
1: Susan was finished. She took her seat.
5: The prisoner will stand up. The sentence of the court is that you pay a fine of $100 and the costs of the prosecution.
3: May it please your honor, I shall never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty.
5: The court will not order you committed until the fine is paid.
1: She never paid and never went to jail, but Susan's attempt to establish a U.S. citizen's right to vote was smacked down by the federal government. American women would not get access to the ballot box for nearly a half century more. And because Justice Hunt refused to lock her up, she didn't even have any legal recourse to keep the issue alive.
2: You know, Ellen, I never tire of hearing about and reliving this trial. What happened in that courtroom in Canandaigua, New York in 1873 crystallized so much of the passion behind the suffrage movement. They were up against such an enormous enemy, the government, the same government they needed to
1: grant them the right to vote. Why was the government so intent on going after Susan B. Anthony, historian Ann Gordon?
2: I think that she probably was arrested and prosecuted to the max because she was the recognized national leader. And if they let her get away with it, then many more women would try it. Why didn't men want to give women the right to vote? Because it's asking somebody to share power. They didn't want to do that. No, they didn't want to do Still that. don't. <laughs> Susan B. Anthony was now a convicted felon. But while the trial was over, her fight was not... To continue raising money for the suffrage campaign, she published a transcript of the trial. Copies cost 50 cents apiece, all for the suffrage treasury. And she went back on the road, mounting the podium at town halls and convention centers and backyard barbecues, at this time, telling the story of
3: the trial with all its drama. And when the U.S. Marshal came in, I said, handcuffs, please. (laughs)
1: And while women wouldn't win the right to vote until well into the next century, the story of what Susan and others did to try to make it happen sooner really resonates strongly today. People come from
4: thousands of miles to stand in this space where she was arrested.
1: Uh, Deborah Hughes at the Anthony House and Museum. When people come here to the
4: house, it's what they feel. You can see it. It's so common to see people tear up. Or they'll say, I'm getting goosebumps, or I'm getting chills. And,
1: and what do you think is going through their mind?
4: I don't know. I, people connect with Susan B. Anthony on some deep level that we don't always understand. They don't always understand.
1: Is it the sense that she changed their lives?
2: Gratefulness for a lot of people um, is a part of it. We felt grateful, too, didn't we, Ellen, especially when we visited Rochester this winter. Stomping through the snow at Mount Hope Cemetery to stand at Susan B. Anthony's grave, it really hasn't changed much since she died at age 86.
1: Here she is. Ah, look at this. Happy 200th birthday. There's a wreath here with yellow, of course, roses and yellow ribbon
2: and on the gravestone, very plain. Susan B. Anthony, February 15th, 1820, March 13th, 1906.
1: So clearly people are coming here, and even in this weather and paying homage. It's very peaceful. Yes, I'm gonna say thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for everything. It actually makes me kind of choke up and I'm not much of a choker, but you made a a real world of difference for us, for our families, for our kids. And I guess we have an obligation to keep up that energy and strength and persistence. And you know what else really moved me that day? that so many people, especially women, make a pilgrimage to Susan's gravesite. Remember what else we saw there?
2: I do, all those coins around the headstone. Partly in tribute, you know, the way you leave a stone or something personal.
1: And also to remember the hundred dollars she was fined back in 1873 for voting. She promised the judge,
3: May it please your honor, I shall never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty.
1: Hey, let's have a shout out to the great Christine Baranski for channeling Susan. And let's remember Susan kept her promise. 150 years later, she remains on the books as a convicted felon.
2: (laughs) I figured it out, Ellen, in today's dollars, that $100 fine is worth more than $2,100. Maybe we need to pay it off and get her pardoned.
1: No, I think we should use it as a fundraiser for women candidates. (laughs) And that, the, the fact that that fine
2: still stands reminds me of just how far the powers that be would go to hold on to power and keep it out of the hands of others. Remember what Anne Gordon said, people in power don't like to share their power.
1: That's still true. Today we're going through a national reckoning about human rights and inequality. That was also at stake in the battle for the ballot, a rebellion against a culture that didn't accept women's full humanity let alone their right to have a public voice and to be considered citizens, or even people. Are women people? Next time on She Votes.
2: She Votes is produced by Maddie Foley, Edie Ellard, and the team at Wonder Media Network. To learn more about our battle for the ballot, you can follow us on Twitter at WMN Media, on Instagram at WMN.media, or on our website, SheVotesPodcast.com. Special thanks to Christine Baranski, Soren Kissel, Sean Patel, and thank you for listening.